scripture reading. Hannah Hobbs is going to help us out and read Colossians 3, 22 through 4, 1. Good morning. All right, so like you said, we're going to read from chapter 3, verse 22 through uh, chapter 1 of verse, or excuse me, chapter 4 of verse 1, sorry. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when there is eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for the human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord, Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. All right. Thank you, Hannah, for reading that for us this morning. How's everybody doing today? You guys sounded great worshiping today. As always, so good getting to worship with all of you. And uh, I love sitting down at the front. Uh, there's this really cool acoustic thing where you're between speakers and you hear nothing through the speakers, which means I can turn around and hear all of you singing back here. It's awesome. So you all sound great today. Uh, I'm Nick. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so glad that you have chosen to join us today. Uh, we are continuing on, actually nearing the end of our series, going through the letter to the Colossians this summer. And so if you want to turn to Colossians chapter 3, if you have not already, after Hannah just read for us, whether in your physical Bibles or uh, on your devices, uh, we're going to be mostly in Colossians, but jumping around a few other places this morning as well. And so we've been going through the letter to the Colossians, talking about how there's the supremacy of Christ, that Jesus is greater. He's greater than anyone or anything else we could possibly face, worship, desire. Jesus is better than all of those things. And, uh, and so today, if you uh, listen to the passage just now, if you read ahead this week, if you looked ahead at what we're, we're talking about, we have the privilege of talking about work today. Who's excited? Really? That's it? Nobody? One, one hand? Yeah, we get to talk about work today. And uh, I had to laugh as I saw at uh, the beginning of the summer and we kind of had this all mapped out and I was going to be here today uh, since, since Chris is gone right now getting to talk about work. And uh, I I'm just curious, how many of you, when you hear the word work, it has like a positive feeling or connotation? Show of hands. All right, some hands, awesome. How many of you would say the opposite? It has a negative feeling or connotation? <laughs> People don't want to be honest. <laughs> how many of you would say it's a little bit of both sometimes? Yeah, maybe that's more so the truth. Uh, if I'm being honest, if I have to pick one, it probably feels like a little bit more towards the negative side when I hear that word work. And I work here at a church. Don't tell Chris. He's not here right now. <laughs> No, Chris is great. But it's, it's work, right? And uh, many of us have, have probably heard that phrase, like, work and play. Like, if the alternative to work is play, wouldn't most of us rather choose play over work? At, at least I know I would. And then, you know, we, we go to work, many of us. We have our, our job time. We're working. And then you come home from work, and you spend some of the play time doing work around the house, which for some of you might actually feel like play. You enjoy it. For those of you like me, work projects around the house are draining, and they suck the life out of you. 
And so you go to work and you work, and then you come home from work and you work around the house. That's more work. And then it's work raising kids, and it's work taking care of the house, and it's work doing all of the things that you got to do every day, single day, and work and work and work. And I'm starting to sound like King Solomon in Ecclesiastes, like everything is meaningless. Why do we do this? We spend 50 years of our life just working, and to what end? How's everybody feeling? We feeling good? <laughs> awesome. Sweet. Well, believe it or not, work was not always meant to be this way. Regardless of how you feel about work, it wasn't always meant to make us feel like, ah, that mm, work, that negative feeling. Going all the way back to the beginning, back to Genesis, when God created the heavens and the earth, when God creates Adam and Eve and puts them in the Garden of Eden, he puts them in charge of the garden to work it, to care for it, to cultivate it. We see in Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 15, the Lord God, he took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. So, Genesis chapter 2, God's created the heavens and the earth. Work is a part of that. Work is a good thing. God created work to be a good thing. It was something that Adam and Eve got to enjoy doing together. It's something that they got to enjoy worshiping God through their work. But, as many of us know, we turn the page to Genesis chapter 3 and everything changes. Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve... They sin, they disobey God, they eat from the tree that God commanded them not to eat from. And as much as we may be tempted to blame the serpent, the reality is it was their own fault. They chose to eat of that fruit, both of them. As a result of their sin, there was a curse. So we see in Genesis chapter 3 as, as God is uh, pronouncing this curse over Adam, over the rest of mankind, here's what he says. Genesis 3, starting at verse 17. To Adam, he said, God said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you are taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. And skipping down to verse 23, he says, The Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. For some of you who are hearing that going, Phew, I'm glad I'm not a farmer. The reality is work for all of us can be toilsome labor. And it wasn't meant to be that way. God created work to be a good thing, a thing to enjoy. And sin has tainted that. Sin has warped work. Sin has made work what it is for us today. Now you may be sitting here, I know oftentimes when I read Genesis chapter 3 about the fall of man, I'm like, Psh, thanks a lot Adam and Eve. It's all your fault. You got us into this mess. The reality is we all got us into this mess and we are all a part of the problem because every single one of us has sinned. We all fall short of God's glory. We all are part of the problem of why work isn't what God intended and created it to be. 
So as I was studying to share with you all this morning, this past week, I found something at least that I thought was really fascinating. If you don't, that's fine. You can just tune me out. But something that I found really fascinating. So the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew thousands of years ago. And uh, I don't know if you've realized this or not, our English language is really dumb. It, like, all the rules and all the exceptions you learned in English class growing up, and it, none of it makes sense. And um, we translate things from, in this case, the Hebrew language for the Old Testament. Hebrew was so rich, like all of these words that had all these different meanings, and we just end up translating it as work, which doesn't really do justice. The Hebrew word used in Genesis 2 and 3 is the word abad. Everybody say abad. 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 Now, abad, it meant work, but we see it more than just these couple moments in Genesis. We actually see almost 300 times throughout the Old Testament the Hebrew word abad used. And it doesn't just mean work. It's used along the lines of work and serving, uh, bondage, slavery, cultivation, worship. All of these different things are all within the realm of abad. So, for example... Perhaps one of the most well-known passages of the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments. And no, we're not going to go through all ten right now. But the first two commandments that God gives to Moses, that he gives to Israel. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves any idols to worship. Now when you go back and look at that in the Hebrew, that word abad is a part of that. You should not abad these other gods, these other idols. Work for them. Worship them. Be in bondage to them. Serve them. Later in Deuteronomy chapter 6, God says, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Abod him only. That God is the one that we are created to work for, to worship, to serve. That's what it's all about. I love this definition of abod. A verb meaning to work or to serve. This labor may be focused on things, on other people, or on God. When the focus of the labor is the Lord, it's a religious service to worship him. Moreover, in these cases, the word does not have connotations of toilsome labor, but instead of a joyful experience of liberation. Unfortunately, this worship service was often given to false gods. So work, from the beginning, it was intended to be a good thing. It's been tainted, been warped by sin. But work in its fullness, when done, abod when done as a worship to God, it's about worship. It's not about toilsome labor. It's not about reluctant obligation. It is about enjoying God, using what he's given us, bringing him the worship that he is due. It's a joyful experience of liberation. Some of you are like, man, I need that in my work life. <laughs> and that's Okay. As we step into our passage here in Colossians, if you want to flip back to Colossians chapter 3. Now, this is switching to the New Testament. Thousands of years after all that's happened here in Genesis and God creating work and work being warped by sin. Here's what we see. Colossians chapter 3 verse 22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. 
Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Now, at this point in time, the New Testament was written in Greek. So we had some Hebrew happenings, and then now it's Greek that the New Testament was written in, the language of the day. And the Greek word used for work here is the word ergon, which is not quite as rich in its variety of uses as abad from the Hebrew, but it just means exactly what it sounds like, the work that you do, the things that you're engaged in, the things that you create. That was work. That was ergon. So that's what this passage here is talking about. Before we unpack this passage and continue the conversation about work, I do want to give a brief aside this morning. There's a topic that comes up in this passage that's possibly been bugging you this entire time this morning, and that's the topic of slavery. Several times Paul addresses slaves here, and unfortunately this was common practice, uh, particularly among the wealthier members of the day. Slavery. Now, it looked like a lot of different things. In some cases, slavery was more of an indentured servitude where a person owed a debt to someone else and was indebted to them to pay and to work to pay off that debt, and eventually they would gain their freedom. In many other cases, slavery was just that. It was ownership, no rights, none of that. And you might ask yourself, how could this be acceptable? How could this happen? And that's a great question. Sadly, this is outside the design of God and yet something that we saw in this culture of the day. And the, the Roman Empire was over um, all of, this is Colossae that we're talking about here. It's part of the Roman Empire. And it was very, very normal and commonplace for slavery to unfortunately be a thing. And so what does this really mean for us? As we read this, Knowing that that was part of the culture and that slavery consisted of some of those different types of different um, dynamics of slavery, you might ask yourself why Paul doesn't just call this out or condemn slavery in his letter here to the Colossians. You might wonder why he says some things, but maybe he doesn't seem to address the issue head on. And so the reality is, I don't know why. But what we do see is that Paul takes a different approach to addressing this topic of slavery. Paul attempts to change the institution of slavery from within by calling on masters and slaves alike to show Christian principles in their relationship with divinely given practical ways of dealing with the realities of the day. So that's a mouthful. What does that really mean? What that means is Paul is using this as an opportunity to speak into the relationships between slaves and masters within the church, yes, even within the church, and saying you need to live differently. Your relationship dynamic needs to look different. That it needs to shine and show the love of Jesus as you interact with one another. He's hoping that their relationships would change such in a way that it changes the institution of slavery from within. And so regardless of the exact nature of each slave-master dynamic in that day and age, nowhere in this letter or elsewhere does Paul condone slavery. Nowhere does he ever say that it's okay or acceptable. In his letter to Philemon, he suggests a new order, a new way of living as that of equals. Paul suggests that we, as followers of Jesus, Welcome slaves not as slaves, but as brothers and sisters in Christ, as members of the family. That's what he was challenging the church in Colossae with. 
Now, two weeks ago, as Chris shared about marriage from a few verses prior here, in verse 18, it addresses wives. And Paul, or excuse me, Chris, not Paul, Chris pointed out, Chris pointed out that it was scandalous for Paul to even address wives in this letter, let alone the fact that he addressed them before husbands. Now, last week, Dave shared with us on children and parents. Verse 20, Paul addresses children. It was scandalous that he even addressed children in this letter, let alone the fact that he addressed them before parents. And so in a similar fashion, here in verse 22 of Colossians chapter 3, it's scandalous that Paul even addresses slaves, let alone the fact that he addresses them before he addresses masters. The Greek word that's used for slave here in this passage is the word doulos. Doulos. And it means just that. Exactly what you think it would be. Someone who belongs to another without any ownership rights of their own. And of course, that comes generally with a negative connotation. What's interesting is this word doulos also gets used in a positive sense in the New Testament of the highest dignity when Paul is using it to refer to believers who willingly live under Christ's authority as his devoted followers. Paul uses it in a totally different light. So uh, go ahead and hold your finger in Colossians chapter 3 if you're there and flip over to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, Paul talks about this a little bit. And here's what he says, starting in verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves, just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness. So now offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now there's a lot that Paul writes here, and this isn't even our primary passage for today. But he talks about being slaves to sin and slaves to righteousness. As followers of Jesus, we are slaves, we are doulos, we are in bondage to sin. And that sin leads to death. As followers of Jesus, we are slaves to righteousness. And that might seem a little bit strange or confusing, so just stick with me here. We're all slaves to something. Jesus himself says we all serve a God. Matthew 6, 24, Jesus in the middle of his Sermon on the Mount, this is what he says. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will love the one and hate the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and, Jesus says, money. We could fill in that blank with whatever we want. You cannot serve both God and whatever it is. Fill in the blank. We were created for worship. There's a void in our hearts and our souls that all of us desire to worship someone or something. 
We all serve a God. We are all slaves to something. As non-followers of Jesus, we're not walking with Jesus. We are slaves to sin. But that's not where Jesus left us. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1, Paul calls us to freedom. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And so you might be listening to all this thinking, wait, so we're not supposed to be slaves to sin. We're supposed to be slaves to righteousness, but we're supposed to live in freedom and walk in the freedom that Jesus has for us. Like what is our place in all of this if we're walking with Jesus? We're not in bondage to the sin anymore. Jesus did away with that on the cross. Rather, as slaves to righteousness, we are willing servants, free in Christ to live by his spirit. Christian obedience is not forced. Hi, baby. How are you? <laughs> Christian obedience is not forced or legalistic. It's willing. We have the freedom to follow Jesus. And being a slave to righteousness is not a negative thing. It is a positive thing in the sense that we get to live and walk in that freedom, that we get to be in relationship with the God of the universe, that we get to know our Savior on a personal level. Because we too were all once slaves to sin, but we've found freedom in Christ through relationship with Jesus, which means we get to walk in that righteousness that only the Holy Spirit brings. And with that, we are welcomed into his family as the adopted sons and daughters of God. Jesus changes our identity. We're equals in the family of God. And so, as I said before, Paul was advocating for a new order and a new way of living. That he was calling on the, the Colossian church, calling on followers of Jesus to live differently in their relationships with one another. Dulos, as we saw, is also used the highest dignity in the New Testament of believers who willingly live under Christ's authority as his devoted followers. So now that we've talked about that a little bit, I want to exercise a bit of interpretive freedom this morning, if you'll uh, grant me that privilege, as I seek to make this passage in Colossians feel a little bit more relatable in our present day context. And so, uh, as we've been walking through the Hebrew and the Greek, I want to get a little bit more practical. And since we're talking about work, for the sake of conversation today, when it talks about slaves and masters, I want to talk about employees and bosses this morning. All right? So, a lot of you are employees. You've got somebody working over you. Some of you are bosses. You've got somebody who's working under you. So maybe you might be both. You're kind of somewhere in the middle. You have people that you manage or that work for you and also somebody over you. And so this morning, I want to take a few minutes to address employees, which is probably a lot of us. As I was reading through this passage in Colossians this week, there's two big ideas that really jumped out at me. And the first is the concept of integrity. Now, I don't know about you. When I think about integrity, what I think about is one of those words or one of those concepts that you learn growing up. Like you're in school and integrity is like a value of your school. Like we believe in integrity as a school. Or maybe it's a sports team. You know, we believe in integrity. We're going to live it out on the field. And uh, for some reason, uh, this could just be my experience, I feel like by the time we become adults in our workplaces, people just stop talking about integrity. Like do we just have it figured out all of a sudden we're adults and we don't need to have integrity anymore? Or I don't know. Um, but I, I just think that's really interesting because it doesn't cease to be important. Integrity, in fact, probably becomes even more important as adults. And it just simply means doing the right thing even when nobody else is watching. Honestly, adults, we could probably have more room to grow in that than our kids could. And so integrity, 
Doing the right thing when nobody is watching, even when nobody is watching. It's one thing to do your job when your boss is watching you. Let's be honest, that's nerving in its own right. You know, you're like doing your job and you know what you're doing. You feel comfortable with it. You're confident. It's all good. But then your boss is looking over your shoulder and it's like, <gasps> start sweating and freaking out. And I hope I know what I'm doing and I'm doing this right. And Okay, but then it's a totally different thing to, uh, you know, when your boss isn't watching to be doing your job. And I'm sure many of us have probably had that experience before where you're like, on your phone, and all of a sudden your boss walks in, and it's like, scramble to put the phone away, and pull the computer back out, and get back to work, and, you know, I'm supposed to be working, I'm doing my job, I promise, I promise, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, you know. Integrity is meant to be not just when we're being watched, but when we're not. Paul's first directive is to obey your bosses in everything. Now, the word for obey here is the Greek word hupakau. If you were here, you heard Dave's sermon last week. He talked about that with children obeying their parents. Now, obviously, the children-parent relationship is very different than the employee-boss relationship. However, the word, it's the same word. It means the same thing to hear under. In this context with work, it means that as an employee, you trust your boss. It means that you believe the best in your boss, that you believe they're going to do what is right, that you're going to be obedient, that you're going to ask or do what is asked of you. Of course, your bosses aren't perfect. And so there is that exception of when what they're saying or doing deviates from what God would ask of you. But remember, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 13, he says, everyone must submit themselves that's the word hupatasso that Chris talked about two weeks ago with husbands and wives. Submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. Same word. Everyone must submit themselves to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Paul tells us to obey those in authority over us because God has put them there in that place. Whether or not they're walking with Jesus. He tells us to obey them not just when they're watching, not just to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. In other words, our primary motive for doing our work and for doing what is right, i.e. living and working with integrity, it should not be about our bosses. Our primary motive is about bringing God glory and honoring him with our work. It's out of respect for God and obedience to him. That's what it's all about. And it's so easy to find ourselves existing in our jobs, trying to please our boss, to appease them. It's important to listen to them, to obey them, as we see here. But ultimately, it's out of reverence for God. He is the one that we are working for. And that leads into the second aspect I want to share with employees today. That's the word purpose. Purpose. Isn't that what each of us is ultimately searching for? What is my purpose? What am I supposed to do with my life? Why am I here of course, these existential life questions that we do not have time to crack open today. But regardless of what you do for your job and whatever your work life or your situation in your life looks like and how that may differ from somebody else's, the reality is that as followers of Jesus, we all have the same purpose, to bring God glory and to make him known. As Paul writes in verse 23 here in Colossians chapter 3, he says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart, all of your heart, all of your heart, as working for the Lord, not for people. As we saw 
earlier with abad in the Hebrew in the Old Testament. Abad, done as a labor for the Lord, was a joyful experience. It wasn't toilsome labor. It wasn't reluctant obligation. It was done out of joy and a freedom for who God is. That is what work is meant to be. When we get to do our work with all of our heart as working for the Lord, it's not for people, it's for the Lord. And if you're a boss, sorry, your employees are not there to do work for you. (laughs) They're there to do work for the Lord. And so often we get caught up caring far too much about what other people think of our work rather than just seeking to work with all our heart and honor God with our work and bring him the glory that he's due and he will take care of the rest. Now you might still be trying to figure out what you want to do with your life or what God could have for you. And I don't know what the answer is for you because I'm not him. We can look at some of the things that his word has to say about God's plans or his will for us. Chris actually talked at the beginning of this series back in June about knowing God's will for your life. But uh, it's, it, it, here's what I want to encourage you with this morning. God has given you gifts and passions and talents and skills and abilities for a reason. God has given you those things so that you can use those things for his glory. And so maybe you know what those things are, and it's just a matter of putting them to work. Maybe you don't know what those things are and you need to do some deep digging or ask the people closest to you, those who know you well, hey, what do you see in me? What are some of my gifts? What are some of my passions in life? Maybe you know what those things are for you, but you're not sure how it can be used to bring God glory. If it's sin, then don't do that. But if it's a good God-given thing, then maybe you just need some help figuring out, hey God, help me know how I can put this to work for your kingdom. Maybe it's wondering how God could possibly use the gifts or the abilities that he's given you to provide for your family. That is an important thing too. All I can say is don't limit God. God has given you those things for a reason. Trust him. Take those steps of faith. He will make clear whatever that is for you. But God has big plans for each one of us. Now, I want to take a a step here and address bosses. So employees, integrity, and purpose. So two words to take away today. Now, bosses. Some of you might be in both these categories, so you have extra homework for today. So, bosses. First thing I want to share with you all today. The only verse in our passage today that Paul is addressing bosses is chapter 4, verse 1. And I find it very interesting that the only thing that Paul sees fit to tell bosses in this passage is to provide their employees with what is right and fair. That's the only thing Paul sees fit. Now, obviously in this context, 2,000 years ago, he's writing to slaves and masters. That's very different than our, than our job workplace situations right now. However, if you're a boss, be good to your employees. Take care of them. Help to meet their needs. Chris and I were just talking a couple weeks ago, not even about this. I don't remember how it came up, but we were talking about how Christians are stereotypically known as bad tippers. We don't tip well. Now, you might get offended when I say that. You're like, I'm a great tipper. Awesome. Good for you. Keep it up. Please keep doing that. But isn't that awful that there's a stereotype, true or not, it's there for a reason. Why is that? Is it because we're being good stewards with what we have? Is it because we're being wise with our money or we're saving that money for something more important? The Bible is full of verses about generosity. That's something that we are called to as followers of Jesus. We should be known for our generosity. And so whatever that looks like for you, 
not just in how you tip, but in how you pay your employees and how you use the resources that you've been given. We are called to be people of generosity. And I'll be the first to admit that I'm not the most generous person out there. I, I have a lot of room to grow in this. My wife is amazing. Like, I have so much to learn from her. But with whatever power or ability you have to bless others, and this is not just for bosses, this is for everybody, whether with wages or gifts or resources, whatever God has entrusted to you, bless others with that. Be generous. This world is full of too many people in so many professions that don't get what they're worth. Jesus himself says in Luke chapter 10, the worker is worth his wages. You might have limited control over this, but do whatever you can to change the culture or the institution wherever you are from within that as followers of Jesus, we would be known as people of generosity. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 6. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Skipping down to verse 10, he continues. He says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So what's the bottom line here? Be generous. It's not about prosperity gospel of me um, being blessed because of how I bless others. It's not God giving because of what you give. It's simply the fact that God is God and has unlimited power and resources and ability to bless us more than we could ever possibly deserve or imagine. And he's calling us to be generous and to bless others. We're enriched in every way so that we can be generous on every occasion. And the result of that is thanksgiving to God. It's worship. It is a blessing that we get to bless others. So use what you've been entrusted with for his glory and give him the, the worship that he deserves. Second big idea I want to address with bosses here this morning. I have a question for you. What's the structure of your organization? And I'm sure some of you are wondering when you just showed up at a TED talk, like this totally just switched, right? What is it? This feels too technical or too businessy. Here we are at church. This doesn't feel like a sermon. Bear with me for a minute. Here's why I ask it. Every business, every company, every organization, yes, even a church has its hierarchy, its structure, its organization of how it operates. Now, maybe there's somebody on top. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's somebody else. If you search organizational hierarchy or something of, of that nature, pretty much what you're going to find looks a lot like this. There it is. Either a pyramid or a tree. There's somebody at the top and it branches down to more people and another layer and another layer beneath that. Makes sense. If you're the boss, you're on top. You're the employee. If you're the employee, you're at the bottom. This person's in charge. This person's not in charge. Well, I want to suggest a couple of thoughts for this. As a boss, if you think that you are where you are because of your own doing, you're not. Sorry to burst that bubble. 
God put you there, as we said earlier, for a reason. God has established authority. God has put you in that place for a reason, for a purpose. God has put you there. It's not your own doing. If you think that you belong at the top of that pyramid, at the top of that tree, there's only one person who belongs there, and it ain't you. God is the one who belongs there. And I was reminded of, of this this week, thinking about this. A class that I took in college, I was an engineering major, but I took a number of business classes as part of my program I was in. I took a management and organizations class. And uh, to be honest, I don't really remember anything except that we talked about management and organizations, I guess. <laughs> but one thing that I do remember from that class, it didn't even have anything to do with the, the class content. I remember throughout the course of that semester thinking there was something different about my professor. I remember thinking, man, there's something different about him. He's a really nice guy. He's a really great professor. I think he's a Christian. It wasn't because he said that, but I could just see it in the way that he was living and the things that he was talking about and what he was teaching. I think he's a Christian. I think he's a follower of Jesus. So the last day of class, we finish getting through all the content that's going to be in the final exam. And our professor takes five minutes at the end of class. And he says, I have something I want to share with you. It's not on the final exam. It's not part of the class content. But it relates to management and organizations. And it's important to me. It's my, my personal opinion and beliefs that I just want to share it with you. And he went on to talk about his faith in God. He went on to talk about how he sees, as a professor of management and organizations, how the only way to have that structure, the only way to have that organization is to have God at the top. And it was so cool at a public university having that happen where a professor was willing to take that bold step of faith. As a boss, you have the opportunity to make it clear who's on top in your business and who it's really all about. Now, the second concept I want to convey with regards to this idea of organization is crucial when it comes to leadership as a follower of Jesus. And this is not just for those of you who are bosses. We're all leaders. We all influence other people. It's the idea of servant leadership. Nobody exemplifies this better than Jesus. We see in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus says, Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Philippians chapter 2 Verse 5, Paul writes this. He says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant. There's that word doulos again in the Greek. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That the name of Jesus every knee should bow and on, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If Jesus himself, the perfect sinless son of God, he saw fit to leave heaven to humble himself, to come to earth, to take on flesh, to become one of us, to walk among us, to live the, the sinless life that we were meant to live, and to get down on his hands and knees, not for us to serve him, but for him to serve us, and to die the most brutal and cruel of deaths on the cross, despite being innocent. If he would go through all of that for us, then what makes us think that as leaders we don't need to serve the people we lead? 
What an amazing example Jesus has set for us. Your primary role as a boss or as a leader, it's to lead the people that you lead. And you do that by leading them, encouraging them, supporting them, lifting them up, serving them, helping them to succeed. So often as a boss, we think that our employees exist for our benefit, but it's actually the other way around. As a boss, you exist for your employees' benefit. You are here to serve and to care for them and to lead them. So I kind of did some um, editing to this image here and flipped some things around a little bit. And see how this totally changes things? God is at the top. This is, he's the one who's over all of this. He is over my work. He is the one who's in charge. And as a boss, I want to encourage and lift up and support the people who are working for me, working with me. It's all about pointing them to Jesus. As Paul tells the Colossians, you also have a master in heaven. In other words, what God gives, God can take away. God has put you in that place. So be a good steward of that opportunity and the people and the resources that God has given you. And remember the example that he set for you that Jesus set for you. Luke 14, Jesus says, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. We all have the opportunity not to be served, but to serve one another. And so we've talked about a lot with regards to work and just kind of bringing things to a close here this morning. Here's how I want to summarize it. God created work to be a good thing. Sin has tainted work. We can still honor God and bring him glory through our work. So let's do our work joyfully as we seek to make him known and be good stewards of the gifts and the resources and the people that God has entrusted to us. And that applies to every single one of us and the opportunities that we have. And here's why I say that. Whether or not you currently have a job, whether or not you are currently in school, whether or not you are currently a stay-at-home mom or dad, or you're a grandma or a grandpa or you're retired or whatever that looks like, you are in that place and with those people for a purpose and for a reason. God has put you there for a reason. And nobody can do that and be there like you can. In fact, it would be weird for me to just show up at most of your workplaces or your school or your home and like start talking about Jesus and everybody be like, who is this guy? What's going on? You're not welcome here. You don't work here. Why are, you, why are you in my home? Get out of here, right? It would be weird. You are there. That is your place that God has put you. That is your mission field. That's where God has placed you and you can reach the people there like nobody else can. Not me, not anybody. And so you have that opportunity before you to be a light, to serve, to care for those around you. Regardless of what your vocation is, we are all called to live a lifestyle of ministry. Not just if it's actually your job. All of us as followers of Jesus are called to live a lifestyle of ministry. We're all called to make disciples as we are going. Which means wherever we are, whatever we're doing, whoever we're with, we're seeking to make disciples. If you're an engineer, be a godly engineer to influence the other engineers around you. If you're working on the line at the factory, be a godly influence on your peers around you. If you're a stay-at-home mom or dad, be Jesus to your kids. Care for them. Point them to Jesus. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much. 
for your humility and your willingness to lay all else aside. Jesus, that you would willingly come to this earth to be with us, to live the perfect sinless life that we were intended to live but failed to do through our sin. That you conquered sin and death through your death and resurrection. That we have the opportunity for new life and relationship with you. Jesus, you came not to be served, but to serve, to lay your life down. I pray that that would be true of each one of us. Because Jesus, you are king, and we now, we get the opportunity to worship you, to give you even just a sliver of all the praise and the glory that you deserve, that you are due. For each person here, Lord, I, I pray over them. Whatever their situation, whether they're working, whether they're at home, whether they are retired, whether they're with whoever they're with. God, you have put them there for a purpose. That they're there for a reason. I pray that you would give them boldness. That you would give them the words to speak. That you would give them the opportunity to, to just speak life and to point people to you. That they would encourage, that they would serve, that they would lift up those around them that they would share your love with them. Lord, we have the opportunity as followers of you to change the way our world views relationships through the way that we interact with one another. So empower us, humble us, give us the strength and the wisdom. God, you are over all, you are in all. We want our work to be the worship of you that it was created to be. And whatever is in the way of that for each one of us, I pray that you would convict us of that, that we would confess that, and that we would grab hold of the joyful experience of liberation that we have in you and that work can be through you. Lord, we, we honor you. We worship you. Let this week of work ahead be one that just honors you and gives you the praise and glory that you're due. Be with us as we go from this place. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen.